Hey, everyone. Before getting into episode number six, I wanted to give you a quick shout and let you know that um, the following episode you're about to listen to has some audio problems. We dealt with some technical issues that we couldn't fix when we were recording the episode. It was mostly involving um, spotty internet connection throughout the entire conversation. You're going to hear through many parts of this episode audio drop out while our guest is talking. And we all apologize for that. And I could have just scrapped the episode and not published it. But we touch on a lot of interesting, insightful, and important topics that I feel are necessary. And um, so I feel that the overall message and the the topics we discuss and the overall themes that we explore through episode number six still come through. And I think you'll still you'll still leave feeling satisfied. So thanks again for listening. And let's get to uh, destroying that grill and bark lounger, shall we? toss that rusty old grill into the lake and set the parka lounger on fire this is the dadward spiral and i'm coming in hot uh i'm i uh, i'm drinking tea you guys i'm drinking this fancy fancy tea i got from whole foods today because we we are living in a time right now where i can't take my daughter to the playground so all she wants to do is sit in a shopping cart and go to whole foods and get a muffin so, you know how on Cheers, they know your name? Everyone at fucking Whole Foods knows my name. I swear to God, I know all the employees. They know Lily. They know Lily wants to get a muffin. And uh, that's how I spent my afternoon. Hi, I'm Aaron Pruner, by the way. You could find me on Twitter at Aaron Flux. And you uh, can find me on Facebook, I guess, if you want to, at Aaron W. Pruner. Same with Instagram. But more importantly, we're Dadward Spiral on Twitter and Facebook and the internet, and uh, dragonwagonradio.com, and with me uh, is is Eddie Doty, as always. Uh, and you can find me at Twitter at Kirby.Matrix or twitch.tv slash ZeroDork30. Um, by the way, your, your whole lived-in reality of the Whole Foods employees knowing you by name, that that is like, that w- that's like second draft writer's room of an SNL Californian sketch sketch of oh like, yeah like just it's, it's every cliche rolled into one. Oh, it's a whole uh, thing this used to be a whole foods down the street for me but they closed for renovations and they're turning it into an amazon fresh so all the employees yeah. there knew me because i would take lily on walks in her stroller every morning and now instead of a stroller she's in a shopping cart and i, li- I see them three times a week i'm there three times a week and yeah. Uh, it, one of the guys is a new dad and he now wants to listen to the show. And like, so I like turned him onto the show. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, We've been getting, not, not to like, not to like puff our chest out here, but like people are actually listening to this thing and like talking to us about it. You should be the one who puffs your chest with all the workouts you do online with your your butt meat. What was that? Your wife said your, Uh, your my wife, my wife said I have butt beef. But after <laughs> after working out for the last year, no. Listen, we, you know. Thank, firstly, yes, I my my therapist tells me I need to accept compliments more. So yes, I, I accept your compliment. I will just say that it was like it was not like a uh, a thirst trap desire to get into shape. It was like a hey, every dude your age in your family has like died. So like, why don't you not do that and actually start like you know getting rid of cholesterol and shit. So so thank you, but it's like it's not like uh it, it's not like I'm getting. <laughs> 
it's not like I'm going for like an eight pack or anything. I'm just going for taking a flight of stairs and not wanting life to end. If that's ever that's there was my a backhanded goal. way of accepting my compliment. <laughs> You're well, like, no, I, mean, no, I don't want to die though, but thanks. No, that's like, that's like, uh, yeah, yes. Thank you. No. Cause like I posted the backstory to this is, uh, cause you're not all my friends on Facebook. Um, but on Facebook, I posted a, a post of starting working out again a year ago. I, I used to be like a competitive athlete. So I used to have like the six pack and things. And, and then I suddenly one day didn't. And, uh, and I was just, I was, I was overweight and I was, I was, you know, I was, uh, not, nothing crazy. Like if you saw me, you'd be like, Oh, that's a, that's a dad. Uh, but then I was like, I, you know, my dad died when I was like 27 and he had three heart attacks and multiple surgeries. And, you know, my grandpa had a heart attack, like just every dude in my family has like, has, has battled like the heart stuff. And so it was just, it was born out of like, yeah, I'd prefer not to die. So like I start, I got to start getting in shape now. Cause if I don't do it now, it's like not going to happen for me. And I, I don't, I don't think genetically I could have afforded to, to not do it. So so I posted some photos and uh, I got a lot of compliments. And yes, my wife said uh, all the stuff has given me butt beef, uh, which I, yeah, I assume is a compliment. Um, I'll check with her again, but yeah, that's, I assume it's a compliment and uh, yeah, but no, thank you. And, and all the dads out there, you know, try to try to do some stuff for the old ticker. It's good for you. It, 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 le- it lets you dad more and it lets you listen to more dad word spiral. So uh, yeah, that's my reason for doing it to listen to this podcast. I uh, I went on a walk. <laughs> walks are good. No, legit. Walks are amazing. Walks I, are like <laughs> a good long walk is like fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, for for health and shit. So didn't say it was a long one, but thanks for adding that detail. I'm gonna, I'll take it. Uh, you know what? We could talk forever, but we have a guest yes. because that's all. You know, that's all we do is we just hopefully live vicariously through more famous people than ourselves. <laughs> Pretty much. Um. So, uh, funny story. Our guest was the first person I approached to be a co-host of mine on this show. Oh, okay. <laughs> Before talking to you, I was like, I think this show needs a female voice. I don't know why. I know it's about fatherhood, but and uh, she's hilarious and has a good perspective on life. And we have a good report. Didn't happen. She's on a CBS, you know, sitcom and 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 gallivanting around i don't know where you can gallivant actually we're in quarantine but anyway <laughs> uh kether donahue is here and you may know her best from her work on you're the worst she has a new tv show on cbs uh with chuck Lorre, which is fucking amazing called be positive but i my personal favorite is her work on greece live which uh i had to cover for work and her performance was the only one i really liked or remembered from the night that I covered that for work. So, Kether, hi. Hello. Oh, dear. I'm very happy to be here. Welcome. Uh, This will be the true test. Spectrum is on my shit list or not. Yeah, we we should also preface this by saying it is COVID. We're all recording in separate places. And uh, Kether is the victim of bad spectrum internet. So we're all hoping for the best. This could just sound like um, this whole whole episode could sound like Eddie and I trying to communicate with aliens from another planet all through like a antiquated radio signal. But we're going to make do 
And uh, at the very least, I'll tell my producer to listen to the entire thing and see what they can do if there's anything that they need to do to fix it, but it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What matters is Kether is here. Kether is our first female guest, which is yes. awesome, which means she's not a dad. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to role play, we could do that another time. You know what? Actually, hold on. I, I want to I, I wanna say for like, for there are some some transparents out there who yeah. probably are, are female and dads at the same time. I think yeah. there's. I think that is a that is an emerging sort of group to like worth talking about. This um, is why yeah. I have you as my co-host. I would not have <laughs> thought that you keep me in line. You do. Oh, I no, said that just, online. I said that on Facebook. You keep me on track. I have a tendency of rambling and saying some stupid shit. And you come back with like the really thought provoking questions. And uh, thank you. Well, I, I don't think it's I, I, well, thank you. And I, I don't think it's a uh, I think you're at fault for it's it's definitely something it's it's relatively new i think to you know to to grok when it comes to you know parenthood and stuff like that but i'm i'm ex i'm super excited to have you here kether because for for a number of reasons but i i love having i love having your perspective on parenting parenthood and and i can't wait to to get into it with you about that but yeah there's there's all types of parents all types of dads and and you're all welcome in the spiral <laughs> yeah yeah well said eddie and also eddie you guys can't see that eddie, I, we should probably post a picture of this Eddie looks like a pilot. You look like you're in a cockpit right now. I mean, it's a great, it's a great. <laughs> it's my, it's my headset. It's my, it's my headset. Uh, oh, no, yeah. oh, I froze. Did I freeze? Am I unfrozen now? It's oh, this right. is going to we'll be fantastic. Is... Yeah. Eddie's a gamer. He works for Twitch. He, he does nerdy things. Uh, he likes to say that we're both nerdy, but I don't have one of those headsets and I don't know how to Twitch. It's and not, uh, it's 50 bucks at Target, man. This isn't even like that great of a gamer <laughs> headset. It's like, it's not even, but yes, uh, it, th thank you. I, I do like, I, I got to admit, I do like the mic that comes in front of the face so I can pretend to be a pilot. That is my, <laughs> that is my side hustle, pretending to be a pilot. <laughs> I'm now not going to be able to unsee that. Um, <laughs> Kether, how are you, by the way? Uh, and I know that we're going to be dealing a lot with probably connection issues, but we haven't. Kether and I and my wife, when pandemic started, uh, would do some Zoom chats, which I thought was really cool and also uh, gave me a little bit of anxiety because I've never actually hung out with Kether in person. <laughs> and uh, which is weird. I. I I met some of the cast of You're the Worst at the TCA's, the Television Critics Association press tour a few years ago. But Kether and I never hung out in person. I commented on, I think it was an article or an editorial you wrote. A and body positive article. What? It's a body positive article. But yes, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. Right. And and we started talking on Twitter. But the problem was uh, Kether deletes Twitter uh, seasonally from her phone. So I didn't get a response from her for like. Or, or I check my Twitter DMs like every six months. Yeah. So it was it was like she replied to something I wrote like almost a year later. And I had no idea what the hell she was talking about. And then the pandemic happened and we started having these little Zoom chats with my wife which were a lot of fun. And then um, 
then stuff got really dark in LA. There were protests and riots and uh, we haven't really done this much. And then, you know, aside from the fact that Heather got busy uh, because productions started kicking up and she got a new job. So I guess. And all the spectrum. That really is. Yes. Uh, don't know what you just said, but no, spectrum is completely borking us tonight. Well, I just heard the point of what I said, basically. So I said spectrum technicians coming in kept me busy too. Okay. That's that's yeah. And I and I mean in all seriousness, during this time, we've had certain repair people coming in to, to fix our stuff here. And it's it's a little uh it's a little stressful when you have a you know a kid here and don't know. We, we okay a few months ago we had our heater turned on and the gas people were like there is a blockage in your heater and it's not filtering and carbon monoxide is being uh if you don't if we don't turn it off you're going to have the threat of having carbon monoxide poisoning so we had you know, this whole thing and they were dismantling stuff and going in and turning it off we had then another technician come in and they were like, those people at the gas company have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. You need to turn the pilot light on and let it stay on to yeah. burn off the dust before yeah. the flame goes normal. <laughs> so this whole thing. So anyways, I'm getting off topic here. Like I said, I usually do about five minutes ago. Kether, we're going to try this. I really hope we can get solid. Uh, I just want to start. How, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, um, you know, what a crazy time it is. And I feel very grateful to be working. You know, I mean, uh, it was pretty crazy. We shot the B positive. Literally, we completed the taping of the pilot literally the night before everything shut down because of the pandemic. So and then I read later, I think out of 55 network pilots, we were the only one completed. So that I felt like that was a miracle because uh, I have so many actor friends who are on location shooting pilots and their productions got shut down in the middle of the week and they couldn't finish. Um, so I feel really lucky. You know, it's not I mean, just on like a sane mental health level because I live alone. Nice. To just like actually physically go into work and see people every yeah. day. Um, yeah. So I feel grateful. That's good. I, I you know, and, and mad at spectrum. <laughs> and mad at, well, that's going to be a theme throughout the whole episode, I'm assuming. Uh, but we're going to move forward with it. I, 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 you know, watching your show, it's a sitcom. It's, it's a three camera sitcom. We're living in a world where people can't get together in large groups. Do you shoot that in front of an audience? No. So <clears throat> we had an audience, a live studio audience, the night, the taping of the pilot, because that was the night before the world, you know, flipped upside down. Um, but then uh, when we got picked up, we're told for COVID health guidelines, we are not allowed to have a live studio audience. So we're shooting it very similar to, even though it's multi-cam, we're shooting it very similar to a single cam, um, which is, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, 
I like it because, but it's also like, I don't really have much to compare it to because I just came off of a single cam. So right. like it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a, a negative to us. It doesn't feel like, I mean, I think when an audience is there, only adds to the fun. If an audience isn't there, it's not like this horrible thing. Filming money stuff, and we have a very lovely crew who laughs at all our jokes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I so asked. That, that. You know, we still have a gauge. We still have a gauge of like the laughs. I asked that because. And I'm going to get to, well, first and foremost, be positive for those of you listening who don't know what it's about. The basic idea is this uh, guy, I don't know if he's a guy in his 30s or 40s, but he's a dad and he has, uh, he's a divorced father. And um, he finds out that he's in renal failure and he needs a kidney donor. And he ends up getting uh, his old friend from high school who is kind of a train wreck, who's trying to get her life together to offer to donate that kidney. And from what I understand, this is inspired by a real experience of uh, the writer on the show, uh, the guy who created yeah, Marco, the show. This is Marco Pennitz. I mean, not all, it's not his entire true story, but it's loosely based on his story. Right. Uh, right. Because he did, he got a kidney donation from this really lovely woman and their friend. we started production was his eight year anniversary of getting his kidney. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, that's gotta be, that's gotta be, that's gotta be uh, add some sort of closure to his whole experience to be able to see this play out on screen. And also there's a lot of people in the country, I believe who go to dialysis every day and deal with this stuff. And it's not talked about as much as I think uh, you would expect. But the first thing I actually want to talk to about this that is dad related. And and uh, this is more so for Eddie than for you, Kether. There, mm. it, it, and it got me thinking. So I'm on, I've watched two episodes so far and the main character played by Thomas Middleditch, um, he finds out that he is in renal failure and needs a kidney and he doesn't tell his daughter or his, uh, or the, the, his ex-wife. And so far, it seems like in episode two, he still hasn't told his daughter, which started making me think of the first thing I thought of was Breaking Bad, how Walter White got his cancer diagnosis and didn't tell his family for some time. Mind you, completely different story and horrible, you know, downward spiral for a character into the criminal underworld. But it got me thinking and I was talking to my wife about this. I'm like, just in in real life, as a father, you get you get this this medical diagnosis. How do you communicate this with your family, especially if you have young kids? What what would your protocol be with that, Eddie? That's a great question. I mean, <clears throat> and this kind of intertwines with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about a little bit later. But I mean, you know, my dad uh, when I was eight years old was the time my father had his first heart attack. Um, and my dad was in Vietnam and yeah, at the time we found, we thought that like, he was just having heart attacks. He was just having heart issues. Um, but he had three heart attacks in like less than a year, had to have a triple bypass, uh, procedure, um, and was sort of changed after that. And we were always kind of under the specter of like, is he, he could die at any time or he could live a full kind of healthy life. And the reality was sort of halfway. Um, 
but I mean, it got me thinking about mortality at like a really young age and, you know, and not only that, but like when I started having kids, like you think in the back of your head, um, you know, I've inherited, you know, all this stuff. My great grandmother had Alzheimer's and my grandmother has Parkinson's, had Parkinson's and my other grandma had like cancer. I had cancer too, by the way, I was, I had cancer. When I, was, I had cancer. When I was five years old. So like, I didn't know. I, that. Yeah. I had, I had a, I had a uh, malignant, um, um, phew, not carcinoma. Jesus, why can't I think of the type of cancer? A melanoma? Melanoma, yeah. Not carcinoma. Like, uh, but like I had, I had a, I had a malignant melanoma on my pelvis oh. when I was born, and uh, I had it removed when I was five. I've had a few removed since then. It's, it's not like it's skin cancer, so it's not like I've got like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or anything like that. It's not like as far as cancers go, it's you could do a lot worse. Um, but still, I mean, it's things you think about. And um, my mom had cancer, and so all this other stuff. So I mean, you know. Um, I think just having honest conversations about it and just, you know, the way it was approached to me uh, when my father, before his third heart attack was something wrong with dad's heart. He's going to get it taken care of. Uh, it's going to be this. They walked me through it. He was originally going to have an angioplasty. So it's like, okay, they're going to do this, but it's like going to be okay. Cause he's not going to feel it and all this other stuff. Uh, my father had his foot amputated when I was like 21. Um, that was there for that. So for me, it's, I, I'm in a, and I worked, I volunteered at the VA hospital in um, Sepulveda here. So I've been around hospitals and medical things like my whole life and scenarios in various ways. And the best way to ju is just be honest. Is just you can you can be honest without being blunt. You can soften the edges and still deliver the information that needs to be there. And also just not shy away from because the questions the kids are going to go to are going to be about death. Um, and you just have to like not be intimidated by them talking about it. Um, Thankfully, neither my wife or I have had to have those conversations. It sucks to do, but um, you know, in terms of it, that's that's at least the plan, right? Like, I mean, we you don't know until you're in it, but just be straightforward and say like um, our approach. I, I feel my belief is that um, kids can tell when you're talking to them like a kid, and they can tell when you're talking to them on the level. Like intrinsically, they just know. Uh, last week, our guest, um, Drew McWeeny said, you know, kids are these empathy machines. So if you empathize with them and create that bridge of like, look, this is what's happening. Here's what's going to happen. I know it sounds scary. This part of it is scary, but these parts aren't. And just be as straightforward as that as possible. Um, you know, it reminds me of the, uh, the Sesame Street episode where Mr. Hooper died. I watched yeah. that live Thanksgiving 83. I watched that when that happened. I, I I'm one too. of those people. Yeah, one of those people who had Mr. Hooper, and they they consulted doctors and 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 child therapists and child psychologists about it, which is like you have to definitively draw that line in the sand that he is dead and is not coming back. And if you rewatch that segment, they're telling Big Bird the entire time, like, no, he's gone, he's not coming back. There, there is no, there is no flexibility there. But your feelings are okay. It it is hurt. It's it's okay that it hurts. Uh, and it's okay to be afraid, but this is what life is. And there's, it's not all bad. So, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. Welcome to the dad word spiral. Yeah, no this shit, is one of right? the reasons why I wanted to do this show because, uh, you know, at least you have a good idea of, of what sort of, uh, things you might've inherited from your dad yeah. or your dad's side of the family. Right. I don't, I have yeah. absolutely no idea. Like I found out later in life that I'm partially colorblind because my dad was 100% colorblind. There's certain mm -hmm. shades of green and blue that I can't tell apart, certain shades of orange, 
pink and red I can't tell apart, which makes it very difficult when I'm reading books about colors to my daughter. And she has to correct me (laughs) the color that I'm saying. But, you know, before you're about to say, you know, no. When my mother was a kid, I'm assuming that no one at that time talked to, you know, were openly discussed these issues. And so when she hit her early 20s and that accident happened that killed her father, I feel like in a way that might have stunted her emotionally and mentally, like she still sleeps with stuffed animals. I had to take four boxes of stuffed animals out of her uh, house the other day because I'm like these need to be donated to kids who would actually you know really need them but it makes me think about if you have certain chaos or trauma that happens to you and you're not necessarily prepared or communicated to about these things that it can then fracture not just you but the family as a whole which mm-hmm. is what happened to me and yeah you know, now my dad died and I never knew him. And I've been having these conversations recently about, okay, well, I'm now a middle-aged man. What do I need to worry about? And what other things did my dad possibly have to deal with aside from addiction and whatever other destructive stuff, you know, alcoholism, all that. I mean, aside from that, like medically, what did his dad have to deal with? I have absolutely no idea. So having these conversations, I think, that's important also to know how to talk to my daughter about these things. Yeah. I'm not the best at it. I have high anxiety about medical stuff. I freak out in the hospitals and uh, which is why they did not let me into the delivery room. My wife was in birth. <laughs> oh, geez. That's uh, a sitcom episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say though, be positive, handled it really in the episode there's a really beautiful scene with izzy g who plays um thomas middleditch drew his character is drew drew's daughter um because uh there was a slip i think gina slipped and outed outed him that this Mm. is going on um and so his daughter there's a really beautiful scene with with middleditch izzy where she's just like, dad, are you going to die? Like that, but like that, like you guys were saying, that's the first kid's mind goes like, oh no, am I going to lose my parent? And it makes me think like, I think it's so common actually for my, my mom has, um, you know, cause my mom's immune compromised and whenever mm-hmm. she has, you know, if flare up uh, some infection or thing, colitis, um, whenever something pops up, I actually get really mad at her because I'll find out the fact that she has it, something like through my brother. And then I'll be like, mom, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, oh, I don't want to get you worried. You're in LA working and I don't want to like distract you. And I'm like, no, mom, please, you have to tell me these things. And I have a friend whose mom lied to her. I hid it from her that she had cancer for a, you know, pretty good chunk of time. I think it's really common actually for keep it from their kids because it's a really scary conversation to have. Um, But but actually, speaking of dads and Eddie, I don't know if Aaron told you, but our dads have a lot in yeah. common. My dad is a Vietnam War vet as well. And on the dialysis front, you know, one of the 
there were many reasons that drew me to be positive, And one of them was the matter because my dad was on a dialysis machine three times a week toward yeah. the end of his life. Same here. Um, he had, yeah, the, um, he pretty much, the VA hospital was like second home. I mean, he, when he wasn't at home, he was at the VA hospital. Yeah. He had, you know, he also had a quadruple bypass surgery. He, I mean, pretty much every wow. illness he had was linked to war, uh, malaria, yeah. kidney yep. failure, agent orange. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. I, this which, is crazy to me. The only time crazy. I, yeah. the first thing I ever the first time I ever learned about Agent Orange was in Jacob's Ladder, the horror movie starring Tim Robbins. Um, this is crazy to me that you guys have this in common. I'm going to step back <laughs> and let you talk because this has nothing to do with my experience. No, it's 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 it is crazy because like um yeah, my dad my dad did two, two uh he did two tours in Vietnam. Um he was a document courier. Uh so he, yeah. He um so he was the guy with like the briefcase and the handcuffs uh and would like deliver courier documents uh to like from like comsec and opsec and stuff like that through various various points and uh he was supposed to agent orange regularly where he was because he was in a heavily his his position was heavily vegetative and for the audience who doesn't know agent orange was essentially a a, a defoliant it was a um it was sprayed from planes to basically be a um like a it, like it's a weed killer it basically killed foliage so that satellite images could get accurate uh depictions of of the battlefield and they gave and my dad would tell me they gave him like these little pills that was supposed to like combat any negative effects and uh it, it, it didn't um it failed pretty bad and uh and then later in life um my dad had all these things wrong with him he had heart disease he had he got adult onset diabetes late in life uh, kidney issues, all Same these things. With my and, dad. and I think, yeah. it, I oh think Agent Orange is the root of a lot of these. Well, right? my dad was in the class action. Yeah, my dad was part of the class action lawsuit. And like, so not originally, because what happened was they originally, it was like only a certain number of illnesses they admitted to as part of the settlement. And then in, I'll never forget this. In 2002, uh, my dad was going to his regular appointments and they're like, Fred, you know, they just expanded the, um, the uh, uh the list of illnesses that are covered by the settlement now you should you should apply and he applied and then i think three months later he got a check for like 30 grand and then he got money every month for the rest of his life yeah, and my, my mom, mom my yeah. mom thank god for my mom my mom fought so hard yeah. on our family's behalf to get the benefits that my dad ended up getting rightfully so yes uh, you know he ended up getting benefits from the VA that honestly, I don't know how as a family we would have uh, been supported. There were, my dad couldn't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, later in life, he, he his illnesses and his severe P case of PTSD, like yep. he also went blind. I mean, he had so many things. He just couldn't work. My dad so was literally blind too. Really, he, our dads are like the same, <laughs> the same guy. I know for his name wasn't Fred. Was he? Was your dad, what year was your dad in Vietnam? He did two, he did two years with gap in between. I think he did. I want to say he did 68 and 71. Cause like 
he was in. Uh, for- I know my dad went there. I know he was there in 67. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was the first time where he got just bombarded with it. And then um, I think less so the second time around. No, they do. And so they do this thing for the, the class action lawsuit. If, you, if the people don't know, they the VA does this thing called service related disability rating, which is like. If, if you incurred a disability due to your service, you get a percentage rating that helps calculate your benefit. And this isn't just for Agent Orange, this is for everything. Tammy Duckworth, the, uh, the senator, or senator or congresswoman, but the, um, she's missing two legs and part of an arm. She has like, I think I want to say a 65% service-related disability rating. She's a senator. Yeah, she's a senator. Um, my father, when you calculated all the things wrong with him, because he had osteomyelitis, chronic neuropathy in his legs, blindness, heart issues, renal failure. He came in at like 235% service-related disability rating if you if you stack them all consecutively. And so like, I mean, it was just great. What was crazy is that he worked at the VA too. He spent 15 years working at the VA. And then when he, he retired- with the VA. He was a ward clerk. He like, he just, he was a, uh, and that's how I got to volunteer there. He was just, he was um, basically every ward in the VA has like a, a person who runs the administrative. And so my dad ran the administrative for, um, for uh, it was called 51C. It was originally like the uh, alcohol drug detox portion of the VA. And then later in, uh, he was later moved to like Gen Pop in like building three. Um, so basically, up, were you yeah. like an army brat? Like when obviously Vietnam was, was, you know, uh, before yeah, you know, before my like, time, yeah, before your time. But like some uh, some people's parents who were in Vietnam stay in the army and they travel. Were you one of those? Uh, it's a crazy story. So my dad actually was married to a different woman when he was living in Taiwan. My brother's half Chinese, um, and then his wife Jane um, was getting a lumpectomy. She had a she had a phase one breast cancer, but there was an accident and she died on the table due to an improper anesthesiologist. My brother, John was three at the time. So my dad was a widow. Oh, yeah. Wait, what the like fuck? Are, are we doing yeah, I'm, I'm convinced it's the same dude. I'm convinced. Yeah, we're the same guys related. I know this is so crazy. This is, is so nuts. <laughs> no, it's huh. no, no, but it's, it's crazy. It's um, and so then, you know, my dad was a single father for some time. Wait, J-O-H-N then, or J-O-N? J-O-H-N. J-O-H-N. <laughs> okay, right. Um, he's, he's not half Chinese, is he? Because John, John Doty is half Chinese. Um, but no, and then uh, and then he met my mom, and then they got, and my mom was a single mother to my brother David, and then they oh got God, married. I am not even talking with you. My other brother's gay. I'm not joking. This is okay, insane. so the connection is going out on, on Spectrum, but... Kether is freaking out. We currently have no, a frozen I, shot of her with her hands God, up. I have a brother named David. And That's insane. That's insane. Um, wow. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> from another woman too. That's so insane. Yeah. Like, but, uh, but so they, they got married and then like, um, and what, and this is the kicker uh, about three, two years at, when I was like two years old, like not because they, they, I got, they started, they had me wrapped together. Um, they, uh, my mom was like, I, you know, I want to, I want to join the army. And my dad was working as a recruiter and he's like, all right. So he hit his quota that month and she went to boot camp. Um, and if you, uh, fun oh. story. Yeah. If, if you Google, uh, the February 1980 issue of Newsweek, Newsweek, um, that's what it was. Yeah. If you, if you Google the February 1980 issue of Newsweek, you'll see my mom on the cover and they're doing an article about women in the military. Um, and I, I was in the army too. So like, 
it's it's weird. Um, definitely an army family. I was I was in ROTC in high school. I was in the military um, as a reservist, and it, it's colored my um, relationship with it. Um, my wife, you know, when the subject of like our kids ever going in, my wife was like, "Fuck no!" And and originally, I was like, eh, "If they want to," and then just with everything of the world being what it is now and coming from the experiences that I have, I, I can't, I can't in good conscience recommend it. And then the final, um, the final nail in the coffin for me was Kirby Dick's uh, documentary, the hunting ground um, or private war. I, he did two, one about uh, sexual assault on college campuses, one and, and the other on a sexual assault in the military. And I just, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't like, I can't current, like, it's just too many things. It's just too many things right now to, to like be someone who supports. So, so, so Eddie, wait, so I've been meaning to ask you this. No, No, that's fine. Um, you joined. So because you, you were born into or raised in an army family, was it always a goal of yours to join? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I was, a. I had undiagnosed ADHD. I was, I was tested gifted at a young age, but I did like, I was a C plus student. I didn't do great. And I also was directionless. Wait, cut, sorry, Eddie, you cut out. You said you have diagnosed what? ADHD. I had undiagnosed oh, okay. ADHD at the time. And I was like, I tested gifted, but I didn't like, uh, I didn't, I didn't do well. And so my parents never wanted me to go in. It was my idea. Um, and then when I, when I told them like, no, I'm going to join the reserves and let me go into RTC and get my commission and do my four years as an officer. And by the time I'm done by then at 27, I'll try to figure out what to do with my life. And, uh, I joined the reserves. I went to RTC. I got a scholarship. I turned the scholarship down because by that point I had started film school and I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I feel like I, I know what I want to do now. And I got everything out of the military that I wanted. And I had a great experience. I was a reservist for eight years. Uh, just got my VA home loan. <laughs> like, I mean, just, you know, just, I got, I got everything I wanted out of it. I have great experiences. I, I had a really positive experience with it. Um, uh, you know, and I have friends who continue to serve to this day. Uh, some of them have gone and a couple not come back, but like my military career is done and I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, it was what I wanted, but uh, yeah, it was just, it was one of those things where I don't think my parents envisioned it for me. I definitely don't envision it for my kids, uh, for my sons in particular, because the world is just so different now than, than when well, I was. Well, thank in. you for your service, Eddie. If my dad <laughs> on the head, if I didn't say thank you, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate um, well, it. I, yeah. <laughs> something my dad went through is well, also, did your dad enlist or was he drafted? list my dad was older my dad graduated high school in 55 so he was um he he just enlisted of his own accord like long before vietnam he was in the army right. 10 years he was he was in his early 30s going to vietnam so he was he was a bit older my dad was a kid proud so uh, um during astro uh mm. and revolution and when he came to the states um, he signed the Refugee Act, which basically yeah. says, you know, you if you enter the, if, you know, if you become a citizen of the country, you have to serve. Um, and so my dad was drafted to Vietnam very shortly after he uh, he came here. But my dad um wanted to, like he he said when he came to America, he kissed ground when he came here. I mean, he was like very proud of his service, mm. whether or not people 
you know, even if you don't agree with the war, you know, like, think dad dealt with a lot when he came back, you know, even his own brother wouldn't talk to him for a very long time mm. because he, he didn't agree with the war, but it's like my dad was drafted, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But, and, and in college, I wrecked a short film about me and my dad's relationship, kind of like a coming age to grow up with the dad to be from war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget it played a GI festival in DC and my and the audience, you know, went up to my dad and said, "Thank you for serving our country." And he said it was really one of the only times he felt the love and yeah. like felt like a good as he, uh, you know, to the point more met with, um, you know, negative remarks. There was a lot of that. I think, I mean, especially my dad talked about that. And and then later on in life, he'd wear his Vietnam vet hat and get a, a lot more love in probably the last 10 years of his life than he did, you know, 10 years coming out of Vietnam. Um, is your dad still with us or did he pass or is he? No, he passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and similar to you, I, uh, from a very young age, like, I don't remember a time when my dad wasn't sick, right. you know, yeah. like, from a very young age, I thought he was going to die soon, you know, because yeah. all his illnesses were always a real Um. So honestly, when he died, the doctors at the VA were like, honestly, we're shocked this didn't happen like two years ago. Like, cause yeah. if you look at all the illnesses he had on a piece of paper, there were people who were like, this is a miracle that he's even all alive. How is this man alive with, you know, Agent Orange and malaria and renal failure and dialysis? You, would you say with the leg, the neuropathy. Yeah, neuropathy and osteomyelitis. Yeah, the, he would just get these random shooting. He had that yeah. He had heart attacks. Yeah. He had strokes. Yeah. He, I mean, it was just always something. And so, and also, uh, after seeing a therapist, I learned kids with fathers or mothers of PTSD could get what they call secondary PTSD. So I had I had PTSD in, a, in my own way as a kid from. Because that's there was always this sense of paranoia in the house and like you know if we couldn't just buy normal rolls of toilet paper we were stocked like my dad would have lived for the pandemic it, i mean like he he would have prepared i mean he prepared for mercy um he he you know he brought his warrior lifestyle into them and he, yeah you know, that's, I'm trying to, I'm putting the, the timing of this all together. So Vietnam war, the accident that happened to my grandfather, who was a world war two vet, right. um, all happened. It, that happened in 73, roughly what Vietnam ended in 
75? Yes. I mean, we saw massive withdrawals in 73. I think 75 is when it like wrapped up. For so I'm going somewhere with this and it may be yeah. sort of out, out there a bit, but I was thinking the other day about how trauma like this, PTSD, accident, death, stuff like this, how it impacts a family hmm. um, and how, so Vietnam was late sixties, most of the seventies, this accident happened to my family in the seventies. The eighties was the decade of latchkey kids and what created like what Eddie and I were talking about a few episodes ago about Gen X fathers. And we're, we're both kind of falling in that category. And I wonder if you think that this all sort of ties into this, you know, that the fifties and sixties was this era in the country of like exceptionalism and, mm. and growth and progress. And then the seventies hit and it feels like, uh, the age of innocence started falling apart and we started yeah. dealing with an uptick with the Vietnam war, Charles Manson murders happened. Uh, there was sort of an uptick in serial killers and this America was kind of waking up to like the dark side of drugs and crime. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I'm going way out there with this, but I grew up in, I don't know if it was considered secondary PTSD, but I definitely grew up in a household of uh, no one dealing with the pain or the accident or the trauma that they were handed. My grandmother came from a generation of, we don't talk about it. And so yeah. that came out in so many other ways where Kether, I mean, I, I have some of those personality traits of hoarding, you know, not necessarily <laughs> toilet paper, but I'm fucking in my head at all times prepared about the absolute worst that can happen at any time. And I'm that way with my daughter today. You know, my wife lets Lily hold like, breakable cups and glass jars and glass cups to drink out of. And it freaks me out every fucking time. Immediately. I'm thinking that's going to break. She's going to cut herself. You know, she's going to freak out that something's going to happen. She steps on a step stool. She's going to fall over and hit her head. I had a cell phone and a pager as a teenager before anybody <laughs> had a cell phone because my dad said my dad would page me to alert me that he was going to call my cell phone. Like, oh, yeah. My mom sure does that. that. My That's my mom's behavior. And I understand why she is always anxious and always like feeling like people are going to forget or she doesn't trust that, that, you know, she's always like yeah. that. And it comes out in my behavior. And I understand now in going through my own therapy where she got it from. And I'm working so hard to not hand that down to my daughter, but I'm wondering Eddie and Kether, if you think that, these sort of traumas have influenced this entire generation that, that, you know, Kether's younger than me. I know that, but growing up in the eighties and even into the nineties, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I, yeah, oh, absolutely. No, no, please. Kether, go ahead, please. No, no. I was just kind of, just cause we're a stream of being here. You're saying reminds me of like, I went to Fordham university. I, uh, media stuff. She she also is interesting. She talked a lot about how um, what you're saying that the culture is affected by this, and that it even pours over into media. What we read, see, and hear. So, like, she had all these really interesting analysis analysis <laughs> the plural analyses of. Um, 
like if you look if you look at films in the 80s like during the reagan administration like rocky and rambo and it's yeah. all about like this like holding on to this masculinity red dawn and like <laughs> yeah. yeah and that like soft female you know you know softness isn't uh you know isn't appropriate and that we should always hold on to this kind of like what we now are calling toxic masculinity mm. you know so i i think there's no way that pour over of our culture like we are all interconnected in that way yeah it's so funny because like i i um i agree with everything you're saying in terms of our generation having to grapple head on and react to this sort of you know <laughs> distributed ptsd the for me i i went the opposite way i'm not i am to a fault relaxed and chill and um not paranoid uh, and I should be another uh, another great reason why you ended up co-hosting this show because that is you the exact seem, you opposite. Also seem very like you have a really lovely sensitive quality too. Yes, that you are not what you know the talk the stereotypical masculinity vibe. I think well, thank you. I think the I think the reason for that is because you know it's weird because. I grew up in those same ingredients with a lot of, I mean, and, and my father high functioning, but definitely drank uh, because he had to. And because he did, he was very cheery and very likable and personable. He had a lot of friends. He was a very well-loved man, but I mean, he could put away a couple large size uh, Mason jars of beer nightly. Uh, and that's just how he processed his trauma. Um, my lived in experiences immediately disproved the sort of toxic masculinity in the air. My mom was an aerospace executive. She was the breadwinner of the family. My father cooked the meals and did the shopping. So at an extraordinarily young age, I was exposed to all the same things you all were, but my parents uh, came to an agreement early on when my mom's career was on the ascent that my dad was like, I don't care. I don't have to, I don't have to overachieve. I can just have a job that allows me to pick the kids up from school to do all these things. I can do the cooking and cleaning because my mom sucks at cooking and um, <laughs> I can do all these things. Um, and he was good. He was good to just, you know, do that job and then end up watching Agatha Christie and eating cheese and crackers until, you know, 11 at night. That was, that was his, that's all he strove for. Um, and then that, that seems result, like a great goal. Way, fucking, yeah, I, really, right? I really love Agatha Christie. Yeah, gotta, there you go. Oh my god, yeah, Poirot. I was just about to say, yeah, he loved uh, Poirot, Rumpel the Bailey. He we loved are all, all, yeah, Miss Marple, yeah. Miss Marple. Don't forget he about Miss Marple, all that because people forget, like, before BBC America, there was AE, and then like AE shared a network with Nickelodeon half the time, and like AE was on at like 6 p.m. onward, where which caused no shortage of conflict in my household. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, like, I think it's, I think it's my lived in experiences insulated me from maybe absorbing a lot of the trauma and toxic masculinity of, of, of the era and of the time um, that, that stood to do that. Now that said, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my dad was born in 1937. He's going to inherit a lot of that shit. My mom inherited a lot of patriarchy from her job, like just being the only woman executive in, in, in a male-driven industry in the 80s, the thing she had to do to just exist in that space, um, you know, she had to absorb and internalize a lot of that, not for the not for her benefit a lot. To this day, uh, her and I get into these discussions and 
and uh, it's it's shocking some of the things that she still holds on to. So um, you know, I, I don't it, like. I guess the, the thing I, I question for you, Kether, is that like has has your father like the the your father not being here now? Um, and I don't know if parenthood is 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 something that you want to you know something you look forward to or something that you want I to do I yeah. do feel innately I've always felt like that I know for a fact I'm meant to be a mom I yeah. love my mom so much I um, my hips were definitely meant to bear children. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I just I just gotta get a boyfriend first, guys. Fair, I, totally fair. I mean, but then again, I. You don't need you don't need to be in a relationship to have a child. Um, but yeah, don't need I, to have a Thanksgiving dinner to base that turkey. Is that <laughs> what you're saying? Oh, Jesus. Um, awesome. no, like I, I said, yeah. like I said, I come in with the quips. I'm the color commentator. <laughs> this yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, that's definitely something that I'm gonna do in my life. I'm I'm always curious. The reason why I ask is because I'm always curious, like people who, you know, because like our parents are a roadmap in a lot of ways. Like we and Aaron and Aaron and I approach this from two different scenarios. His relationship with his father is different from mine. Bottom line, net result, neither of us have fathers in our lives currently. I have an amazing father-in-law who I absolutely adore. Um, but he didn't raise me. You know what I mean? He didn't he didn't mm-hmm. know me from a child. Um when it comes to you know, one thing my dad was really good at was was making me feel safe uh, up until he got sick that first time, and he made me feel safe by his intellect, if not his his heft of his body. Is is that like when you think about becoming a parent of your own? When you think about motherhood, what are how are you going to how, how are you relying on memory? Does your did your father leave anything written behind that you can reference? Is there anything that you can think about that will sort of be that lantern for you when he's not there? For sure. I mean, I think it's a mix of a few things. Like, I think just intuitively and innately, like I said, I just think I, you know, didn't grow up with my parents. I still, I feel just intuitively that I, you know, would, that, you know, that I, draw from just my own intuition with with motherhood um sure when it comes to my dad specifically you know because my dad was an immigrant and he that informed a lot of his parenting you know like Mm -hmm. he he really loved our country and um he loved serving our country and he was a dreamer he was a dreamer you know and um I really don't think I would have been an actress if it wasn't for him, you know, because anytime I would tell uh, an old, an adult when I was, well, I want to be an actor, you know, you get these very logical, uh, practical responses. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, oh better sure have a plan B. College and, oh, yep. Right. Or statistically actors don't make it. But my dad was the one that was like, no, I'll never forget. I wish I had the video. I know I have a, I took a video of him at some point in his life where he just looked at me and he literally repeated the word persist like a thousand times. And Uh and I do his accent really bad that he was just like, persist, persist, persist. Like he just like kept drilling it into my head. Like Heather, you want to do 
I know you're going to do it. Like I, it's not even an option. You know, oh. I would, Sorry, sorry. I, I I know the spectrum connection is frustrating. Um, oh but no! What, it, what's the last thing you heard me say? It's it's through the it's whole just, episode. Yeah, but it's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, uh, look, what you're saying about persist. I was going to ask you about what what was that moment where you wanted to pursue acting? But also, I think that brings to mind your activism and that's something i also mm. wanted to talk about before we ended the show because we're getting close to that time um you know after the pandemic started i follow you on instagram and i noticed that you you were very engaged you're still engaged in in um certain elements of the activism that was rising up especially bubbling up after the riots happened after george floyd um and i'm curious where do you think that that sort of um, interest in staying engaged in and and in protest and voicing, you know, making sure certain voices and perspectives are being heard comes from that persist uh, messaging that your dad gave you? For sure. And I mean, I think it kind of like goes hand in hand with Eddie's question, like what I know I'm going to. dad I know how powerful that was to have your parent believe in you and and believe share in the enthusiasm and faith in your dreams so that's something that hands down I just say like I really loved dad and that I want to pass on to my kid and secondly Aaron, to answer your question, absolutely. I think my dad had a really strong sense of justice. And he, you know, he was, he was always like writing letters to like, you know, uh, our, if he, if something wasn't happening that, you know, wasn't happening the right way. I mean, he, um, he definitely instilled that sense of justice. And like, and I think, People, um, I think something I'd like to talk about when it comes to this, there's a lot of compassion involved in justice. You know, I think some people who don't like the word act, I know there's still people out there who don't really like the word activism or it scares them because they get this image of in their mind that it's just this like, uh, you know, these aggressive, like young people just like protesting in the streets. It's quite the opposite. I get great passion fellow human beings to to engage in activism um and wanting to it's wanting people to rise to the best of humanity that we can you know um i do so yeah, yeah i definitely had, had an impact on that mindset i feel sure. like more people should probably try to see things from both sides of an argument, whether, you know, right now in the world, in our country, it feels like everything is cut and dry. There's just black and white. There's no gray in between. Well, and that's how you get cancel culture. Yeah. Which I think is all very harmful because when people don't live in the gray and you have compassion for different perspectives, we completely miss the boat and the window of opportunity to better understand each other and to like really listen. And then if someone does fuck up or someone does 
say or do the wrong thing, like, you know, like that person of like, this is why what you said was harmful, you know, and like, you just cancel someone, it completely dismisses that opportunity for growth, which absolutely. And I, you know, we were talking about uh, how, you know, certain generations are impacted by watershed moments. And I feel like this generation, I've mentioned this movie before, but the social dilemma really puts Mm -hmm. things into perspective of how psychologically we as a society have changed um, to where we were five years ago, 10 years. I mean, Barack Obama was the first president to ever utilize a social platform for a campaign. And I was thinking about that today. That wasn't that long ago. And to see how things have shifted so much in the way people react to whether it's pieces of entertainment the other day, the other day. So, so uh, I don't want to get too political or anything on here, but the other day, Kyle Rittenhouse was uh, bailed out of jail uh, for an obscene amount of money or whatever, mm-hmm. and I saw that, and I rem- I forget the na- the name of the the uh, black kid who was in jail for in prison for like three years because of stealing a backpack, and I think he ended up killing himself or something. Um, so I wrote on Twitter, "Oh, white dudes really love it when white dudes have guns," and I was assaulted. I, I told Kather this on the phone. I was I was just. <laughs> assaulted by anti-Semitic Twitter. And I said nothing about Jews. I'm a Jewish man. I'm not a good Jew. I eat bacon. I've never had a bar mitzvah because I protested the hypocrisy of religion when I was 11 years old. Like, (laughs) all these things. Um, That's a whole other conversation we can have at another time. But, like, I was just posting just a random thought in my head, and I got attacked for it. And you know, it gets you in this position where first off, I'm like, well, this reminds me why I don't like posting personal opinions on social media. But then the flip side of that is I'm old enough to remember when constructive conversations happened between people that did not agree on topics, but still respected each other and loved each other, even though they disagreed on certain ideologies and beliefs. And one also, to that Aaron what when you, what you prefaced with when you before you told us about this you said not to get political which I understand but what ended up happening is actually just proof that everything is political yeah uh, we like it just yeah a living breathing person body depending on what body you're in depending on where you live depending on what um you know what but your brain is every everything is political. And the more we try to pretend that Sir Humber political, that really does us a disservice because everything is political, whether it's labeled that way or not. Yes. You know? And that's kind of where I was going with that. I, 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 the reason I said that is because I don't want to pigeonhole certain listeners if they don't necessarily agree or disagree because this is a podcast no, I about fatherhood. And why you said it, but no, that's no, I know. Conversation. It's almost yeah. like further proof that you kind of have to tread waters when you're when you're even bringing up a topic because you don't want someone to like scurry away. But right. it's like well, we can't scurry away because whether you let or not, stand that we're not a conversation. 
Uh, absolutely. And it's like, you know, there's certain things where, you know, that reminded me of, okay, I have to, you know, tread lightly in certain areas in, in, unless I have to expect I'm going to be attacked online or, you know, I was wondering when in this show is the right time to bring up the idea of when a woman is a victim of assault or anything that would fall under the umbrella of, of the me too movement. And then you would hear a man come out, uh, usually a celebrity that would say something like, well, I have daughters. So, I understand. And, <laughs> you know, James Cameron did that at the TCA war uh, at the TCA's like two years ago, he was working on something. And I, I forget which actress came out to talk about, uh, was on, I think true lies. I don't know. Some actress came out with a story about being harassed on set. And he was like, well, I don't condone it. I have a, I have daughters. And there is like, I understand now that I have a daughter, I understand why a man would say that because in my own experience in growing up and living the life that I'm living, I never really took into consideration specifically a hundred percent of the time, how women see the world. I knew to respect women. I, you know, I was raised right. with a set of morals and understanding about or consent. how they react. Or how they react to the world. Yes. Not yes. only how they see the world, but how they the world reacts to them. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, I can understand a little bit now why men say that. Because now that I am, I'm not going to necessarily say I'm a helicopter parent, but I went from never wanting to be a dad, never thinking I was ever going to get married kids scare me oh my god i'm gonna have a girl i don't know how to even be with a girl let alone a little boy like all these things now that i have a, a two-year-old daughter here i'm seeing things differently on a day-to-day -day basis just through my own eyes and it's opened up a sense of understanding and empathy that i never even thought needed to be opened but at the same like like i don't really know if i have a a, a point here but you do I think the point is this, when that happened at TCA's, all my peers, including me, rolled our eyes like, oh, my God, here we go again with the, the man, the man saying I have a daughter because it comes off um, inauthentic as if yeah. you are you are putting this on your child and not owning up to it on yourself. Yes, that but you're at, 100. Yeah. But at the same time, now that I am a parent, I'm like. Oh, I can see, I'm seeing things a little differently than ways I used to look at the world, especially now that I have a daughter and I've had these conversations with my wife about how to inform and educate in, in a specific way to, you know, interact with the world and be open to things. But also, you know, it's, it's I think it's kind of similar to the talk that Gary and and we had uh, Gary Anthony Williams on a few yeah. uh, episodes ago, and he's black and has a black kid and was talking about having that talk with his black son about how to interact with the police. And it's it's just it brings up these thoughts in my head where, like, I've wanted to engage with people on social media about this, about these because I came to this epiphany. But I know that if I was to come out 
and be like, well, I have a daughter. So I, you know, I understand it would come off as bullshit because that's not well, where your understanding think, should come I from. Think, I think this is an opportunity for the gray area discussion to be had. So it's an, and so it's like, you, people could understand, you could tell people, you have a little baby, a woman because you have a daughter and at the same time it doesn't completely x out reasons why that would piss people off when it says that it kind of like it gaslights the female experience yes. there's a yes. lot of arrogance attached to it um it, 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 I think mainly it gaslights the female experience, but it's like, cause there's fathers who molest their daughters, you know, yeah, like just because right. you are a father does not mean you, it's kind of like a, an, act. it's like a, it's a get out of jail free card that makes them not accountable just right. because you're a father of a daughter doesn't mean you're not a, accountable. So it's like, this is a, an am discussion that it's like, Yes, you could acknowledge and we could acknowledge that you have more empathy than you, or awareness than you would if you didn't have a daughter. And it's important that you're understanding and sensitive that that you're, you're you probably shouldn't be tweeting that because it, you know what I mean? There's I do. certain yeah, that I'm, are just not useful. I do. I guess it was just the other day I had this thought of like, you know, something happened. I was listening to the radio, like the news or something. And I thought to myself, wow, like that's that that is an impacting thing. And then immediately I was like, oh, I could see why a guy would say, well, I have a daughter, so I condone that where you should just say I condone that because that's bad and that right. we should all treat each other with respect but i guess that also in my head falls in line with the idea of thoughts and prayers when a bunch of kids get shot up at a yeah. school well you know? it's also like when men say that i like a or something like okay you're not a war hero because you have a daughter it like right. it doesn't mean <laughs> right. that you know well, excuse me, Kether. Well, I, I would say I would say this. I would say I'm not, I would say, I'm not directed toward you, Aaron. I'm it's okay. Just, it's okay. I'm a war hero for many other reasons. <laughs> me, a guy who's only held a gun once in my life at and at my bachelor party of all things. Um, a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes go to the range for a bachelor party. Yeah, not, in a suit, a, dude. I was in a suit. In a suit it was. Yeah. It was so dumb. I mean, good, but it was so like I felt so like. Sorry, Eddie, I'm go a, on. It's okay. I'm of a couple minds about this because on the one hand, like, listen, if, if you're, if having a daughter, uh, is the, the Rosetta stone for unlocking the, you know, the Da Vinci code of misogyny in our society, Hey, at least you've unlocked it. Congratulations. <laughs> the Da Vinci code um, of misogyny. I don't think it's a Da Vinci code, dude. I that's think what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's it's not. It's it's in plain sight for everyone to see. But if having a daughter is the thing that gets you to finally pay attention to it, uh, dude, then then and not anyone here, but like just general dad man. Uh, if if having a daughter is the thing that finally gets you to pay attention to it, at least you're paying attention to it. What I would say though is that your child's gender it doesn't, it's not dependent on your child being a female. I had two mm. boys first and seeing how the world put expectations on these toddlers 
uh, how things were marketed as boy oh, toys, yeah, toys dude. And girl toys. And Aaron, you and I have talked about this. How many times are we as dads out in the world pushing strollers, taking our kids for walks, and invariably you get a compliment going, wow, super dad over here. And it's like, no, I'm just a dad. This is stuff my wife does every day and society does not fee- see fit to reward her as a super mom. However, just because I am with my kids and making sure they're not getting into the street, I'm somehow a super parent. No, I'm I, just a parent. I don't know if I told you this, Eddie. When I first, when, I mean, when Lily was young, Kelly got one of those ergo carriers, which is, you know, yeah. you strap it on as a, a things, on yeah. the chest and the baby is the on arms, the front. Yeah. I had such a crisis of do I go out in public wearing this with a baby mm. as a man? And I like I was really nervous about it because a I had never held a baby before really. Sure. B I had no example of how to do this as a right. dad and C I had already gotten that sort of attention out on the street pushing her in a stroller and I didn't want that I like I mm. felt like putting Lily on my chest and carrying her and go for a walk like that would just draw attention from strangers that I did not want. I just wanted mm. to have this moment with my daughter. And it's it's so infuriating, but I guess I guess there's an element of it where you should just take take the compliment or you know and be yeah. nice, but this shouldn't be. I, I took Lily to the zoo. I didn't even say anything about this. Uh Kelly and I had an appointment to take our daughter to the zoo the other day. We're doing so that in two weeks. We're doing socially that Socially distanced yeah. LA's zoo. Yeah, they yeah, make an appointment. We booked the spot. Yeah. Uh, be prepared to see a lot of people uh, not wearing their masks right. Awesome. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> that That's even if they're going to stay open after this stay-at-home order goes into yeah. effect. No shit, right? But, um, yeah, we took her there. And, it, it, you know, even walking around pushing the stroller, I was just very aware with how other people reacted and interacted. It was a little different at the zoo because there's a lot of parents there with kids. Um, But that was something I really had to get over. And I pitched that as an idea to write for the Washington Post that never happened. But then I think our first episode, we talked about the Kevlar vest, (laughs) the camo manly baby carrier bag. Oh, my God. And I I I swear to God, I was tempted to get like a stylish man baby carrier to make it more fit to make me comfortable. And it shouldn't even be about that. My wife has uh, my wife's into Vera Bradley. So all of our diaper bags are like Vera Bradley. And if you're if you're if you're a man. You're not familiar with Vera Bradley. No, I'm not. Uh, very bright, floral, hand stitch oh. bag. I fucking love those things. Like those things. That, firstly, they're sturdy as hell because they've got like a million stitches in them, and they're big. They actually like hold all the shit you need to hold. Like I, I'm at this state. Like it didn't take long because necessity is mother of invention. It just works as a bag. Like who gives a shit? Right. Like I don't need tactical webbing on my diaper bag in order to feel. And like, and that's the thing. Like. You don't want to show people you're a military dad. Honestly, <laughs> here and here's the thing, and this is the other, and this is Kether for you. Like this, going back to that a little bit, like it's so funny that like um, you know people who are not in the military uh, project a a singular type of masculinity on those who tend to be in, and mm-hmm. I think like my dad was a big ass teddy bear who like cried at the end of Casablanca. 
and also <laughs> killed people. My dad was like the most sensitive man. Yeah. Ever met. Yeah. Well, and, Eddie, and, and, and you know, and, yeah, go ahead. Kind of chime in here. I have for weeks talked about the idea of masculinity and the idea of what I thought a dad should be as opposed to what I am or what I thought a man was as opposed to who mm. I am. And no offense, man, you were a martial arts guy and in the military, you are. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I came to you because I knew you had this empathetic sense of quality, but you are like you you are uh, of the people i know that i've known for a while you're a little bit up there on the list of machismo man like you you are what i consider to be dude like but but and, what is but what is the story behind that the story behind that is i was a kid who moved every school year i was afraid of my own shadow when i went on my brother's motorcycle when i was five i like sobbed because i was so scared was scared of heights i did these things to overcome fear. I be, I joined these things to get like, to improve myself and to just get over it. I still, when I still look in the mirror, I still see the skinny kid with like the rail thin arms and the, and the bubble gut. And like, I still see that person in the mirror and like, and again, we could talk about body imagery and how it fucks with men and like, and, and the, the beauty standards for men and like my brother, David, who has, was like born with a six pack and like can fucking do like heavy squats when he was like 10. Like I grew up around that. And and I was like the runt of the litter. I had to do things just so I could feel like, you know, just, just so I wasn't afraid of so much. And like, that was my only like coping mechanism from some of the, you know, talking about earlier, some of the PTSD around our house, I wasn't in control of so many things. I had to do things where I had an element of control or where I could feel in control. Um, and it was also just a lot of time on myself because like my parents worked and my dad was yeah. sick and like, you know, like, so when I lived in Newport beach, like, yeah, I fuck I had to go surf because like, what else was I going to fucking do? You know I mean? Like all these, these little hobbies that paint a picture of a quote unquote manly man are really just fragments of like a very broken existence. And like, I made something out of it. And I think that's what all men have I, to I, do. Yes, I agree with you, but I would just like to say you surfed when you were a kid, and I almost drowned in the ocean, was afraid of sand and the Dude, water and the sun. So, anyways, I you were asking a question to Kevin. <laughs> That's okay. Because no, um, we got to end this soon. We got to end this. No, I was just saying, like, um, Kevin, with your experience with your, with your, like, with your dad, like, did you find, because, like, our first definition of masculinity for kids is is our dads. You know what I mean? Like, did you all this is to say, um, let's say you have a kid and let's say it's a boy. In what ways would you want your son to be like your dad that are the, the best of what you think sort of a, a, a boy or a man could be? Um, you know, and I mean, I think that's why it's good to embrace complex discussion because it's like, on one end of the spectrum, my dad was a very sensitive, emotionally yeah. expressive man. And that's something, if I have a boy, I want to. Do that. But on the other end of the spectrum, because my dad had PTSD, um, his emotional expression oftentimes became volatile, not like he was not, I want to just put it out there. He was not abusive, like 
physically or anything like right. that. But um, it was scary. You know, there was a lot of yelling in the yeah. house and it was very, you know what I mean? He was, he was very emotionally expressive in a, in a non-contained way where it was just kind of like very untamed, you know? So I think I'm also mindful of um, how to funnel <laughs> that, you know, like I think kids need to learn how to funnel their energies and maybe perhaps I would encourage them to funnel that in creative ways, like to not suppress your emotions, yeah. but inappropriately be yelling at people or um, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's the, the answer we're all trying to solve, you know, like, um, and, and the complexity thing is you're right. Like I said, you know, our, our, our dads were these, you know, emotionally uh, available to us uh, sensitive men who also, you know, participated in war and, and like my dad and I never had the discussion of, did you kill people? It was always just sort of assumed. Um, and, and to compare that night and day with your experience growing up, I think that's, I think that's interesting. It'll be interesting. I think for Aaron and I, and a lot of other parents like to, to see how our kids respond to the lives we had before them. Uh, Aaron and I were club kids. There was a time when I wore black lipstick and eyeliner and uh, <laughs> I had Mac white face powder and late uh, uh, vinyl pants and boots. And no, there are not pictures. So I was smart enough to not leave photographic evidence. <laughs> Um, this 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 tells you everything you need to know about me when I was in boot camp and we did in week seven when we did our field training exercise where we go out in the bush and, and all that other stuff and I had to do camel face paint. I absolutely did um brown and olive drab green uh crow uh makeup ah. as my face camo. Everybody else had like you know the tiger stripes and everything else. I did the crow because yeah. I'm I'm fucking garbage. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Aaron. No, no, it's fine. And you're talking about you know father figures growing up and that had me thinking, I'm like God, who did I look to for masculinity? Yeah. And I guess it was uh, Bo and Luke Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. There you go. Uh, Michael Knight from Knight Rider and pretty much every wrestler from the early 80s on WWF from Jake the Snake to Jimmy Fly, Jimmy Superfly Snuka and Andre the Giant and, of course, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Um <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I think that That's was a good way to kick us off. <laughs> that was the sound effect telling us it's time to wrap up this episode. Um, Kether, <laughs> I, I thank you for coming and joining us coming. You didn't go anywhere. You're in your, you're in your house. <laughs> thank you for joining us. I do. Well, I, I came from my bedroom into this other room. So. <laughs> I think I see a refrigerator. Yes. I'm so, currently in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Again, uh, we're going to do our best with uh, this choppy internet connection. Aside from that, though, this has been an amazing conversation. Yeah, I've wanted to do this Thanks with for Kether having... for a while. Um, so this has been eye-opening and heartfelt, and uh, it helps me to understand this experience a bit more, which is the reason why I started this show. Um, Kether, how can people find you online if you want them to find you? Well, um, on Instagram, I'm at Heather Donahue. Uh, Twitter, I mean, I'm 
the most boring tweeter in the world. I rarely tweet, so don't even bother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> While there, I had on my Twitter profile a uh, quote from Kether Donahue, Aaron <laughs> tweets on the reg, and I guess I still do. <laughs> and if you send me a Twitter DM, I will probably not see it for a year. Yeah, she'll get to it oh, when we have um, another president. <laughs> God willing. Um, so, uh, yeah, this wraps up another episode of the Dadward Spiral. Put your tray tables and seat backs in their upright position. We're coming to our final landing. Uh, once again, I'm Aaron Pruner. You can find me at Aaron Flux on Twitter, uh, Aaron W. Pruner on Instagram and Facebook because I tried to make it official. But here's the thing, guys. I had a previous job where I I worked as an entertainment journalist where I somehow got that blue check mark on Twitter. And if I change my name on Twitter, that blue check mark goes away. <laughs> yes. That right there is status and currency. And I'm holding on to that in this dark world we're living in. <laughs> uh, but Dadward Spiral on Twitter and Facebook, as well as at Dragon Wagon Radio, who yep. uh, gives us life. And if you out there listening have a need for some nice uh, coffee mugs or a t-shirt or maybe some COVID-19 masks, hit that shop tab on the Dragon Wagon Radio website and you may uh, you may happen upon some cool looking merchandise for this show as well as other shows on the platform. Really good ch- shows on this channel, by the way. And I'm not just saying that because Jake's my friend and because we're on the same. Like, there's some good stuff here. Uh, please, please look around Dragon Y Radio. There's a lot. There's the podcast just for you. Yeah. Shout out to Koi Jandro, who yes, the Koi cast. He came from Collider. I've known Koi for a while. Koi, Koi was my host for a while on one of my shows. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I just hit Koi up today because he just did a thing with Kevin Smith. Saw and- that. Uh, hey, buddy, Kevin Smith's a dad. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, legit. Well, we we have we have something to talk about, but that's for another conversation because we always have more of those to have. Once again, thanks to Kether Donahue for joining us. Um, I have a feeling Kether may return to the show at some point because I think this is a dot dot dot. There this is so yeah. much more to discuss to go into. Yeah. Um, and hopefully hopefully better internet connections on all (laughs) look look okay we're recording this what on a friday night everyone's home we're about to go back into a pandemic lockdown it was just thanksgiving like everyone's streaming white christmas yes (laughs) yes exactly um so i hope yeah by the way we recorded this day after thanksgiving you're going to be listening to this in a week i am off topic here Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to my rambling. Thank you for Ed, to Eddie for keeping me on point. Thank you to Kether for her great perspective on yes. everything we've discussed, even the most difficult, darker, harder things to discuss tonight. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure Eddie appreciates it too. Very much so. Eddie, once again, where can people find you? Find me at twitter.com uh, at uh, Kirby.matrix. Somebody asked what that is in reference to. Kirby Dots. It's a style of art from Jack Kirby, the famous comic book artist. Mm. Dot Matrix printers. Uh, I did a lot of ASCII art when I was a kid. So Kirby.matrix. Ha ha ha. Very funny. Oh, I thought that and was like a cartoon reference. Kind of, comic bookish kind of yeah. thing. And then uh, twitch.tv zero dork 30. I never stream anymore because I'm too busy doing this. But when I do stream, I'm there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm taking you away from your streaming. Life. <laughs> no, not just you. Like, not just you. It's whatever. It's, it's, it's life. Also, man. you guys need to become Facebook friends. 
Did I hear in the beginning of the conversation? You're not Facebook. No, we are. No, we no, no. I, I, yeah. what did I, Oh no, I was saying like for those for the audience who doesn't follow me on Facebook oh, for the reference of the post. Yeah. Spectrum. That's a spectrum fail. That's oh, okay. Eddie and I have been Facebook pals for a while. A long time. Since I've had a and Facebook account. Spectrum, if you're listening, step up your game. Yeah, this uh, is ridiculous. <laughs> you, you fools. Well, on that note, this episode has been brought to you by AT&T Uverse. <laughs> AT&T Uverse. Way better than Spectrum. Eddie, yeah. are you on Instagram? <laughs> Uh, I am uh, Kirby.Matrix on uh, Instagram as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm, I, what you are to Twitter, I am to Instagram. I need to be better at Instagram than I currently am. So, okay. but yes. <laughs> so we're ending this show officially now. Um, yes. <laughs> thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been episode number six of the Dadward Spiral. Wait, is anyone on Snapchat? No. <laughs> Not anymore. I had to <laughs> Thank Are you for listening. Jesus Christ. MySpace. No, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I still have one. Somewhere. I used to work at MySpace. Another conversation for another time. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. And as always, be excellent to one another. Hey there. My name is Wingman Steve. And I'm Chris. Chris, what? Yeah, I'm not saying it. Come on, man. Say it. Say it. It's so cool. <sighs> I'm Chris183. Nice. That is awesome. Yeah, anyways, Steve and I are both 30-something dads. Super awesome 30-something dads, and we love to nerd out over the power-corded glory that was 90s and early 2000s pop-punk music. And at one point, we bled Blink-182 and Yellow Card, even if nowadays we're mostly Baby Shark. Baby Shark, do-do-do-do-do-do. Baby Shark rocks. Fair enough. Join us on High School Never Ends, the pop-punk dad podcast where we'll discuss, debate, and revel in a music genre that we feel deserves much more love. At least once we get the kids to bed. Right. That's High School Never Ends at hsnepod.com, at hsnepod, on Twitter and Instagram, and wherever podcasts are found. It's Dragon Wagon.